Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Unraveling Technology podcast. It's that time again. I'm joined by David Johnson and Adam Willerton. Hi, fellas. Thanks for joining me. Hello. All right. How's your week's been? Not bad, yeah. Yeah. Seems to have been long. There was yesterday was a mass load of pizza. It was it was just pizza day. It was, wasn't it? Um, Whose as, birthday as was it? As is tradition, it was Luke's. It's actually Luke's birthday last week. This mm. was belated pizza. We've got a backlog of pizza <laughs> to get through. We've had the kitchen ripped out at work and it's yeah we christened it yesterday with the the traditional birthday round of pizza and then mm -hmm. met up with some people from church in the evening and had yet more pizza oh really was it so, more dominoes uh, it wasn't it was marks and spencers i think oh mm. well, yeah. at least you're getting yeah. your five a day anyway yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were half we were getting through the, the sort of mountain of pizza yesterday at lunch and someone found a pizza we didn't even know was there so then there was another whole pepperoni pizza to eat. To be fair, it was one we didn't order. Uh, uh, I think we ordered right. we ordered chicken strippers and uh, potato wedges for Jason. For Jason, who famously doesn't like pizza, who famously doesn't <sighs> like melted cheese. I can kind what? of understand that. But yeah, they um, Domino's didn't deliver that, but they did deliver us a pepperoni pizza instead. So okay. we had a, a pizza that didn't get eaten, and then they had to come back out with some oh, well. some more food. Dinner. Anyway, breakfast. Pizza yeah. day yesterday. Jealous. I can't really get my head around not enjoying cheese. Or melted cheese. I, I, well, I can. Have you ever have you ever eaten just melted cheese by itself? Yes. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Out of a cup? Mm. <sighs> this is going to be really <laughs> revealing about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I just feel like we stick it in a microwave. <clears throat> well, Grate yeah. Grate some cheese in a bowl. Stick in the microwaves. I guess. I mean, I haven't done that for years. But. That just seems like, you know, you've given up trying, really. Put it on toast or something, at least. Melted cheese is cheese in its best form, so. Yeah. Yeah, I it's not bad. I'm, I like cheese normally. Mm. I like melted cheese when it's on other things. I think I can see the sort of, you know, you get the, the glistening layer of melted fat on top of it <laughs> and, and stuff. The that best part. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not so appealing. <laughs> Congealed cheese is not great. When like you're talking cottage. No, like cheese. when you come to clean the grill out after you've done mm. cheese on toast. Mm. That that's not appealing. Well, we've talked about the the the, uh, the sandwich maker machine thing, the toasty maker here that wasn't cleaned in months, and presumably when they ripped the kitchen out, that thing went as well. Well, apparently it had gone. Like I, I named and shamed our kitchen as having this toasty machine. Apparently, it had gone a long time before that. I oh, just right. hadn't looked in the cupboard for a while. Well, you wouldn't. Practically quarantined that cupboard off. No one looked <laughs> in there. So some brave soul got rid of it. Well, thank you to them. Um, the week's flown for me. Not really a long one. But then I've spent pretty much every evening this week painting a room. Mm. I, um, I, I work well. I, I think I work well under pressure. So we've been trying to get this box room at our house turned around, make it like a bit of a games room. Uh, so we went and ordered the carpet last weekend that's being fitted this weekend. So massive rush on to get it done throughout this week. And it's looking pretty good. Um, I was telling David it's not particularly fulfilling to paint over a white wall with white paint because you don't, you don't really see your return no, no. on investment. Mm. But I was also saying how um, Dulux, is it? Somebody has released a, a white paint where it, when it goes on, it's pink. And then as it dries, it turns white. So you can see where you've painted. Have they, have they marketed it as though like it's like a fun thing rather than just an, like an accidental feature? I, th I think the point of it is that you can see... Oh, right, so you can see ...that it. you've painted right, okay. the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not for fun. It's like that mouthwash where you shake it and then... Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, But that's not for fun either. That's... Well, mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know. What mouthwash is this? That's what I mean. There's though, a mouthwash, right? and it's got it's two separate components. You have to shake it before you use it. But when you drink and spit it out, then it shows you. What is it? Is it all yeah, red? Yeah, shows all the bacteria. All the bacteria comes yeah. out red. Oh wow! Yeah, which is good because you can see that it's working. But you're not going to go in for a second wash, are you? You're not going to go yeah, for a second. Yeah, you're supposed to keep using it until you're spitting blue instead of red. Maybe, which is a handy way to get through lots and lots of listerine. Yeah. 
buy probably some. More. Yeah, it's probably just a good marketing ploy. Can I blow your mind? Yeah. I've heard that uh, mouthwash doesn't work. Really? I think Corsadil is like the only one that w- that does work. That stuff's. I can imagine that stuff doing because it doesn't taste good. Oh, it you you can't eat anything for about. I oh, know that's that's Listerine. Well, no, Corsadil as well. It's oh, really? Very, very strong, minty. Mm. Like it, it feels like it's burning the surface off your tongue. Yeah. I mean, do you do you mouthwash and then rinse your mouth out? No, you're not supposed to do that. No, you? it's just like I can I can see it maybe not being effective if, if people didn't understand that you you're not meant to wash your mouth afterwards. But apparently, when you're cleaning your teeth, you're not meant to wash your mouth out. No. You might not leave the toothpaste on for for however long. Yeah. And that just seems mm-hmm. wrong to me. Oh, well, that's a good fact. There's got to be some kind of Kickstarter with some kind of dental hygiene. Oh, that's, that's the challenge for next week. <laughs> that's the challenge for next week. That's what we want. Yeah, I don't know. I think we've kind of got there. Um, we could maybe get people flossing more in this country. America, very big on flossing, mm. personally. But, but I don't know, maybe it's only if you eat a lot of meat or something. It's weird, isn't it, that... The, like the American stereotype of Brits is that they've got bad teeth. Mm. Why? I, I think it's because whitening and stuff's a big culture over there, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm sure I've read some statistic that says that we as a nation have healthier teeth than the Americans. But I think you're, if you're an American, your definition of a bad of bad teeth is like not, not look- symmetrical and not yeah. white and mm. yeah. Whereas we probably care more about whether they've got holes and fillings and things yeah i haven't got either my teeth are all over the place and they've got tons of fillings so really? <laughs> i had a brace when i was younger so mine straightened out a bit but i also had way more teeth than i needed so <laughs> <laughs> i had quite a few taken out really yeah there was like a i don't know a couple of months where i had like four teeth taken out it was a horror show mm. <sighs> yeah Anyway, shall we? So this week I've just pulled a few stories. Uh, so the first one I've got is um, about uh, Lyft overtaking Uber in the App Store uh, following the Delete Uber campaign. Um, presumably, Adam, as a social media whiz kid, you were aware of the Delete Uber campaign? <clears throat> yeah, and I don't actually think that Lyft overtook Uber in the App Store. I think it overtook it in weekly downloads. Right. Okay. For the first time ever, so like it's there's still more people downloaded Uber in the world, but mm. for that one week, Lyft out outnumbered Uber. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, do you know things are back to kind of where they were before? I don't know. I'm not I, sure. I mean, I I had a brief look because, um, like the the articles that I've read. Um, Let's go through this. Uh, let's go through this chronologically. Okay, so this was kind of uh, this is a result of um, so the Trump administration's new ban on immigration into the U.S. from certain Muslim countries, and the New York uh, Taxi Workers Alliance uh, basically put out a Facebook thing um, which says, "quote." Calling all drivers, yellow, Uber, everyone, do not pick up at JFK Airport tonight, Tonight, Saturday, January 28th from 6... Uh, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m.? Yeah, it just says 6 m on my notes. <laughs> I was like, no, that could be a.m. Um, yeah, stand in solidarity with thousands protesting inhumane, unconstitutional ban of Muslim refugees and travelers. So there was this... Uh, um, I, as usual, uh, there's been a, a Trump policy that uh, has not go, gone down well with a lot of people. So this was going to be an effort to you know, a strike in in a way. Mm. So Uber, for people who aren't aware, have this thing called surge pricing. It's probably something that normal taxi companies do as well, uh, to be honest, which is um, based on demand to get to and from certain places. They will increase the estimated price of a journey. So uh, if you're going somewhere earlier in the evening, it might cost you £7 to get somewhere, whereas, you know, if it was 2, two in, the in the morning... morning or... yeah. yeah, everyone's wanting to get a taxi home. Maybe you go to order the taxi and it'll say to you, oh, surge charging is in effect. You will pay 1.4 times your normal rate. So the reason for that is that if demand is high, there's less drivers on the road, Uber increased the price 
to encourage more drivers to go to work. Oh, right. Okay. So if, you know, if they think, oh, I can earn double the amount of money that I usually would, then I'm going to go and, and work and pick up because it's high demand. And that's what the reason behind is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, but that makes sense. obviously a lot of people are a little bit cynical about it and think that Uber just do it as and when they feel like it. Yeah. yeah. I think there was an app released at some point that would tell you, it would give you the radius for where, where you could move to to avoid the surge charges. Uh, so I guess it I guess it must apply only to certain areas at certain times. Mm-hmm. I don't know how complicated it gets, but in response to this uh, kind of taxi band, workers alliance mm-hmm. strike uh, yeah. call, they cancelled their surge pricing, uh, which it's uh, it's a hard one to kind of pin down. So th- there was there was out outcry about it from a lot of people who say that they were disabling surge pricing to sort of encourage to, to, to try and undercut all the other companies like oh nobody's going to jfk at the moment let's stop surge pricing so that people will use uber, use uber so, yeah as instead. well as not responding to you know this call to strike they some people saw them as saying is actively taking advantage of the call to strike by marketing their service and that I think they did they tweet it out but they made some kind of post saying that they were turning off surge pricing mm-hmm. yes yeah they did. so uh, not a very popular move no uh, so you then have a lot of um, sort of celebrities getting on board uh, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of disdain for this, and also because the Uber CEO is a, an economic advisor to Donald Trump. Mm. Um, so's Elon Musk, for that matter. So yeah. I, I don't really know how much that really says anything. Maybe it's good having these kind of people on an economic board because they're yeah. more grounded. Um, but as a result, you have all these celebrities who are jumping on and sort of pushing this delete Uber. Um, tr- hashtag. Uh, hashtag getting people to delete their uber app and take a picture of themselves deleting the uber app and as a result uh, lyft sort of saw this this boost uh, which allowed them to overtake uber in the the weekly downloads uh, if only temporarily but it was it's, it's kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't mm. situation because if you so so they they disabled surge pricing and they get accused of undercutting but if they'd continued with surge pricing well they're Uber's reason for disabling surge pricing is because they've been accused in the past, uh, apparently, like in the wake of natural disasters, things mm-hmm. like hurricanes and stuff, they've in, they've set surge pricing on, uh, which customers have seen as a sort of, oh, they're taking advantage of these natural disasters and people's, you know, people need to get somewhere and now Uber have put the prices up. So apparently supposedly what they were doing by saying hey we've disabled surge pricing was saying don't worry guys you know you can still get an uber if you if you can't if you need to get home from jfk airport between six and seven then you know you can get an uber and we're not even going to charge you extra yeah that's Um, but but then again there's the whole thing that adam mentioned which is that having surge pricing is a good incentive to get more drivers on the road and if you if you're banning or if you turn off surge pricing the idea being to give everyone an equal chance and an equal you know saying we are still open for business you've then got your drivers who aren't necessarily going where the money is anymore so if you've got forest fires and you suddenly need a load of uber drivers up there to escort people away from the from the danger zone you don't have surge pricing on so the drivers might just go somewhere else where there's a bigger fare um they might not even know there's a problem so Mm. i think that just highlights a massive flaw in the idea of surge pricing if surge pricing genuinely is and solely is a tool for uber to incentivize drivers to go to areas where they need more uber drivers because there's more demand then the problem is it just it directly uh impacts the people that need those cars and if there is a you know a humanity reason why they need those cars if there's some natural disaster or you know then it does just seem like they're preying on people so 
maybe instead of you know upping the price that also affects the price that the end user has to pay maybe they should you know decrease the amount of profits that the uber company takes from a fare and yeah. keep keep the fare the same level and just yeah, say hey true. drivers instead of getting whatever percentage you're now getting a higher percentage of this fare yeah yeah that's uh <laughs> that just sounds massively uh sensical doesn't it but is that they're going to just throw profits away but a lot yeah. of it's kind of public perception isn't it and would the public know about this yeah would they I know think this is going on if if it were my company um then well, I'd one be day I'd it be, might be <laughs> i'm not i'm not taking over uber i have strong opinions about uber and their practices so they just they more keep. of a lift man i get it lift <laughs> <laughs> is not in the uk unfortunately that explains why i couldn't find it yeah um <laughs> uber uber keep screwing up usually in the sort of leaking customer data or misusing customer data points right. but yeah uh, i'm not a fan but anyway I, I was if it were me you'd keep the surge pricing for just your kind of average you know hey everybody's spilling out of the clubs so we need more drivers on the streets so hey if you're gonna gonna decide that you want to leave the club at the same time as everybody else then you know there's more supply and demand rules you're gonna have to pay more that seems reasonable to me but in the instances of there being some kind of natural disaster or something like that and you know there's a lot of people and we need to get them out of this area quick then maybe you have an alternate way of incentivizing mm. drivers which involves cutting your profits yeah and i think that would have been would have been something useful here especially because you've got if you're in taking the jfk situation into account you've got a few planefuls of people who are angry tired frustrated at an airport i saw a, <laughs> i saw um, an absolute burn from someone uh, on the on this Facebook group that had a funny comment about how the crowds at the JFK terminals were larger than the ones at Trump's inauguration. <laughs> but you've got all these, you've got this sort of high tension situation and maybe people understand the protest, but airports are stressful environments. They mm. just want to get home. Do you want to be the Uber driver who's going to pick somebody up from that sort of situation if you're not being incentivized to do it? Right, but the issue is though that they've crossed the picket line. So... The point is that they were striking because they disagreed. So it's not really about whether or not it's convenient for people passes. The point of the strike was it is inconvenient for air passengers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Uber kind of like broke rank. Yeah, they were specifically named. I mean, there's only like a handful of uh, companies that are named in this call by the Taxi Workers Alliance. And Uber was one of those that was specifically called out as to, hey, we should all strike for this, you know, between 6 and 7 p.m. And we should, instead of driving taxis, your your taxi drivers should come and protest outside the terminal. Mm. And thing, so not only did they, you know, not only did they do this surge pricing, but they specifically ignored that, which is kind of seen as a, Actually, no, we disagree. We don't yeah, think and that I mean, this is an unreasonable they're presidential not exactly, uh, decree. Well thought of in the taxi community anyway, Uber, no. are they? And like just stuff like this is, I don't know, they're not doing themselves any favours. They're not very good at PR yeah. and spinning. <laughs> they, keep, they keep messing up and when they do mess up, they quite often, you know, just give some half-hearted excuse, which then people go, you what? Mm. And then later they turn around and do something else. Which I guess is kind of the irony that gets pointed out on the the article that uh, we're all reading mm. is that um, so one of the reasons that everybody moved to Lyft um, is because not only did Lyft kind of decry this immigration ban, they also um, set aside I think it was a million dollars that they were going to uh, send to the ACLU. Is yeah. it the ACLU? That's the one. So that is the uh, American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah. Who stand up for human rights. Who are at the moment trying to kind of pursue things like taking taking President Trump to court and stuff over some of his practices and just generally, yeah, fighting back against some of the stuff he's coming up with. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, they were seen as, you know, these are, these are the good guys. This is the good version of Uber. It's the taxi company that you can still order through an app and pay pay through the app and not have to carry cash and stuff. But they're the ones that are on the side of the American people. Um, so, yeah, after after kind of reeling a bit from all of the the delete Uber, the uh, Travis Kalanick, yeah. president of, is he CEO of Uber, um, put a statement out on Facebook, which uh, basically is, is quite a long, long statement about how it's all terrible. All the, the immigration ban is really terrible and it really affects, you know, it's affecting a couple of people in the sort of, uber company itself but then it's affecting hundreds if not thousands of drivers that are driving for uber who now are not able to leave the country otherwise they might not be able to come back in or might have already left the country and now can't come back in so they can't drive their taxis uh and he's saying he's going to set aside three million dollars to um is a sort of pool to it's like to help fund the like to, to cover legal and immigration and translation costs for people who've been affected by the ban basically yeah yeah so the upshot of all of this is that uber are actually giving more money yeah uh, but uh people don't seem to care because they've already tarred their reputation yeah that doesn't seem to be how history will remember this um the irony as well is and someone correct me, please, if I'm wrong, but Lyft continued to operate at JFK, didn't they? I'm not sure. I didn't actually read. I meant to look that up. I'm pretty they sure weren't... from what I saw, they didn't actively stop either. I don't know if they're part of the uh, part of this taxi workers group mm. or... Because they are a relatively new startup, relatively that said, I don't think Uber aren't part of the Taxi Workers Alliance either. I think this was kind of a let's set aside our differences, do it for the common cause kind of thing. Because mm. I know there's ongoing beef between taxi drivers and Uber and I, I would assume Lyft. I mean, it's the same kind of business model. But from what I understand, Lyft didn't stop going to JFK. So the fact that they've uh, they've got this sort of good reputation from, a, from doing... I mean, it's, it was all good intentions, essentially, but it's, it seems to have completely backfired. Mm. Um, it does seem, it seems unjustified. Mm. Which makes you think, you know, should you let situations like this dictate the service that you choose? I mean, David, it might seem like a leading question, but do you think it's important to support moral businesses or is it more important that the service delivers on its promises? Uh, I I think you should support moral businesses, but... That's kind of you. You should support our businesses, but it's hard to tell whether a business is making statements because it thinks that you know mm. it's the right thing to do. And hey, you know, I am the CEO of this big important corporation, and so I I am being listened to. So I should make a stand because my voice gets heard by people, whereas the person on the street might not so i need to be in this position i need to use my power responsibly and make this stand or are they just you know making whatever's mm -hmm. the popular statement so that more people are going to be inclined to use their business mm -hmm. and it's very hard to tell whether or not that's the case it's a bit like apple with encryption yeah in a way i mean it's a good thing it's a net gain for everybody but is it also just a handy little public relations thing for them yeah, every time they resist something that, you know, is not not popular, then news stories upon news stories, free publicity. And, yeah, you get cases like this where Lyft has seen this surge in downloads. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you only chose, you know, businesses and services based on morals, you would be very limited as to what you would use like oh yeah i i'm you know i like to think that i'd make moral choices in my buying habits but you can't ever you know you can't ever unless you grow your own food in your back garden and you know make your own house and yeah live off the land and you, you're gonna come across some 
some companies that are morally questionable. And I mean, like you were saying about, about like you were yeah. saying Apple, you know, they on one hand they're like all for encryption, but they're they're in they've lots of controversy with the uh, conflict minerals. They use conflict minerals in the to make okay. to make the uh, you know c- uh, electronic components in the phones. Right. So. You know, every company's morally questionable in some area, but yeah, it's it's about how it's like how you know, and I'm sure lots of people do, who delete Uber will eventually come to a point where they're stranded, and the only option is to get an Uber. And I'm sure they will re-download it and use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a like a common thing that you hear. Um, you know, when people if if. If someone was vegan, you say, oh, vegan, are you? Oh, what are those shoes made out of? Things like that. Mm. And it's not so much like a, I'm absolutely 100% not going to have anything to do with animals. It's like I'm making I'm making the effort. I'm making a concerted effort. I think a lot of the time it's where there's a choice, I will choose this option. Yeah. So, for instance, where there's a choice between Uber and Lyft, they might decide, oh, well, I think Lyft is a more moral company, so I'm going to give them my business. But as you say, if Uber is the only taxi company that is going to pick me up at this location at this time when I don't have any cash, then I think a lot of people will come down on, you know. There's got to be, in order for people to make moral decisions, I think a lot of the time for a lot of people, there has to be an alternative that is almost if not as convenient for them yeah i I doubt very few people are going to walk home instead of get an uber um mostly because it's yeah what what effect is that going to have you know a few people and i know this is probably a bad way of looking at it but if a few people you know stick it stick it to the man then what change is that really going to make uh yeah in the long scheme of things and that's how a lot of people would think about it yeah you need a hashtag to get behind that's it absolutely hashtag uh i've forgotten what it was delete, delete uber. uber well that was an effective <laughs> hashtag wasn't it i mean as, as well you sort of feel like as every day passes you have less and less control over your own life so mm. you want to be able to feel like you're contributing in some way yeah to... you've got a bit of agency and and if that's which app am i going to delete today hey it's yeah. something it's a start Good talk. Right. Um, okay, so next story I've got is um, uh, it's an article from theregister.co.uk about a website called GitLab. Um, so people probably... Do you want to explain what Git is before everybody... You know what? I had to have a bit of a Google, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah, okay, have no so, idea, so this is going to be an interesting Okay, right. So in the internet lexicon, um, a, a Git repository... Um, so Git in itself is a it's all about version tracking isn't it so Mm. when you're talking about uh, software it's used by a lot of programmers especially when collaborating because it it the whole thing is about version control and change and keeping track of what you've done yeah when Uh, you're working on when you're writing a program either just on your own if you you know fancy and want to (laughs) want to yeah it's probably good practice or more commonly when you're working on software with a bunch of other people you kind of store your code in a central location and in order to make changes you don't just go in and edit the source code that's stored on some share somewhere and you know go hey joe are you are you writing to the source code no okay i'll put my bit in and then i'll save it and then you put your bit in Mm -hmm. what you do is you um check bits you have it stored in this central repository and you check bits of the program out and make your changes and then push them back into the repository with a note saying what you've done and the repository keeps this kind of record of all the changes so that if you break something you can go back to a version where you know the thing wasn't broken anymore and then you can figure out which code changed and fix it and yeah yeah you got all this backup and all these versions and you can keep track of bugs in the code and things like that yeah and share the code between lots of people lots of developers yeah and um and and git is a common used tool for that i don't know what it if it's an acronym or what um i didn't i didn't delve that deep but that's what it is in essence 
and you've got a couple like the the one that people would probably have heard of if they'd heard of any would be GitHub. Mm. That's like one of the big one ones of these sites. Um, GitLab is another one. It's a bit more recent. It's more of a startup. Uh, but yeah, the the irony is that it's all about version control, keeping track of changes, keeping backups of data. And unfortunately for GitLab, they've uh, they suffered a, a bit of data loss um, yesterday. I think it was, and uh, that's kind of what makes this ironic. So they 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 put out a tweet. Um, in the early morning of February first, uh, uh, yesterday, saying we accidentally deleted production data and might have to restore from backup, and then they attached a Google Doc, which uh, they said they would live update with information about all this data that they lost and how they were going to recover it. And the re- this is what the Register article focuses on because they had five backup solutions to keep all of this data backed up to prevent this kind of thing from happening and all five of them failed (laughs) um now i'll say this off the bat for them so looking at the document um you really have to admire their transparency have you Mm. had a look at the document yeah i skim read through it and understood a fraction of it yeah it's very linuxy yeah and that might be part of it you know just to sort of obfuscate throw information around but uh they it's it's really really transparent they've even got at the top of it they had a a link to a youtube live uh, which has them apparently debating and problem solving the issue in real time so you can imagine if this kind of thing happened in other companies they'd go into a damage control essentially they say we are working on this we'll provide updates and then they go into a back room and all start swearing and screaming at each other like what do we do what do we do whereas in this case they just kind of completely opened up the process and put it out there um, which which you can admire that takes real guts people don't like to think of companies as fallible especially when dealing with important data but they did that and they've kind of they've had two schools of thought saying it was very it was it was good and it was nice to see that transparency others saying it just kind of served to show the the incompetence of the whole affair and what was going on and the document outlines here the the reasons that it all failed so i'll just briefly go through them i've kind of cut them down to their basis aspects so it kind of makes sense so number one so snapshots which is where you take a copy of of all the data in in real time um are by default only taken every 24 hours and and they happen to run one manually about six hours prior to the outage so that was the closest backup they had was six hours previous number two the regular backups seem to also only be taken once every 24 hours, um, though we've not yet been able to figure out where they are stored. <laughs> so, and uh, according to one of the people uh, who was investigating, these don't appear to be working and they produce files only a few bytes in size. Uh, number three, their disk snapshots in Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud servers, are enabled for the file servers but not for the database servers. Number four, um, the synchronization process removes webhooks, which I had to look up. It's like little um, HTTP sign for post things. Um, essentially, they said, unless unless we pull these from a rec- regular backup, uh, they will be lost. Number five, the replication procedure is super fragile, prone to error, relies on a handful of random shell scripts, and is badly documented. This is information they've conveyed outwards to the world. This isn't like a leaked document. Number six, our backups to S3 apparently don't work either. The bucket is empty. So that's backing up to Amazon's cloud, presumably. Yeah. Now, but in in S in, in Amazon cloud terminology, is bucket a thing or is this just kind of their like admission that it's all gone to pot? I think bucket is a thing. Right. I'm not that familiar with Amazon, but <laughs> they were just saying that the backup pool has run dry. Our bucket is empty. <laughs> And then the last point they have is we don't have a solid alerting or paging for when backups fail. And we are seeing this in the uh, dev host too now. And then they finish off by saying, so in other words, out of five backup and replication techniques deployed, none are working reliably or set up in the first place. We're now restoring a backup from six hours ago. How about that? Did we cover the reason that this actually, this problem occurred in the first place? We didn't. Do you want to take us on that uh, um, little adventure? It, it's it's the stuff of nightmares because 
you know, I feel like I've been in similar situations before where, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully the uh, the backups would have saved us because we, you know, are pretty good at checking those. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was basically a engineer from the Netherlands, I think, working on this, working on the databases and trying to sort their way through stuff. And there's a kind of quite in-depth or quite complicated anyway um list of all the different steps he was taking and trying to figure out uh you know trying to do this and then this wasn't working and so he tried to do that and stuff and it's just and it's uh it's kind of like a uh timeline from five o'clock till nine o'clock he's trying to do a bunch of things and then from nine o'clock and then 10 o'clock and then 11 o'clock and it's like yeah, yeah I, i've been there i've been trying to fix a problem that you think is going to take you know an hour and just spirals into an entire night's worth of stuff mm-hmm. but yeah um at a sort of 11 o'clock ish uh he comes to the conclusion that you know he's got this new database and he thinks there's a problem with it um so he decides he's going to delete the new the new empty database that he's created uh, and then try it again. Sure, why not? But he accidentally, instead of deleting database two, which is the empty one, deletes database one and realizes a few seconds after he's done it and cancels the removal command, at which point the 310 gigabytes of database is now only has four and a half gigabytes left dangerous dangerous mistake to make um there was i don't think this was in the google doc but it might have been on social media people were asking if he was going to be fired as a result of this but they came back and said he won't be fired he's made a mistake Mm. um and it yeah you could ask people are asking online whether you know one person should be capable of making so large a mistake but i mean it was it was a mouse click or two wasn't it i mean what sort of safeguards do you have for this kind of thing um yeah anyway they they pulled it all back from so they lost six hours worth of data which doesn't sound like a lot but i guess if you have people writing to it all the time that could be could be quite quite a bit yeah Um, it's a lot of um i think the data the data itself in terms of the projects is safe it's just a lot of things like the notes that were made when people committed stuff and bugs that have been submitted and stuff so there's a lot of it annoyances rather than data loss i would have said but hey i'm not one of the companies that have uploaded stuff but one of the things that they are, yeah one of the things that the uh the article on the register points out is that apparently last year uh, gitlab decided that they'd outgrown the cloud and they were going to bring everything back in house and then following this incident they said that they're exploring uh, options of moving back into the cloud as again as well um, but it's it's a good it's a good case study this to the old adage that there's no such thing as a good backup, only a good restore. You yep. can think that you're backing up your data, uh, and it may may for all intents and purposes look like you are, but it's only when it comes to that moment where you really need the data and have to get it back that a lot of people will realise that a backup doesn't work. So stresses the importance of testing on some sort of a schedule, even if you don't need to do a backup. It's good to check. So remember that. I will do. Cool. (laughs) Right, what should we have next? Um, uh, So we've got a a story here about um, Google Allo uh, dropping off the top 500 on the Play Store, but I don't really have an awful lot to say about that uh, myself, other than I I know there was a um, a lot of talk at the time about how Google were already kind of cluttering their instant messaging services together. A lot of people use Hangouts. Then there was uh, Allo. There's Duo, Duo, which is video messaging. Yes, Allo, Duo, they even sound similar. But uh, the Google Allo app was kind of hanging in there around the 200 mark until about mid-December, and then it started dropping off very fast. And it seems to be another one that's destined for Google's cutting room floor. I think there's a few things that it didn't do. So I don't think it did anything particularly special. If I was to guess, I'd say it was kind of more, if anything, of a prototype or a showcasing of uh, the Google Assistant. That seems to be its main selling point. So, yeah, because is the Google Assistant now in um, more Android phones? 
I don't know. I, I don't know if it's still just in the Pixel or not. Yeah, because like, the big selling point of well, one of the big selling points of the Pixel, one of the key points on their advert that I keep getting shown every yeah. other YouTube video I watch. I keep seeing it as well. A yeah. part of me's kind of coming around to the idea of the Pixel. Um, <laughs> it's working. The adverts are working. They're doing it. As somebody who owns one, I feel like I don't really need to be advertised at, although it does make me... You know, it makes me feel good about my purchase. It you just stay me... in that little echo chamber of yours over there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, my phone is new enough to not have a version number. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, Google Assistant is on the Pixel just anyway. And I imagine if it's not already, it's coming to Android phones yeah. uh, in later versions of Android. So kind of the the only special thing about Google Allo was that as far as i could make out i mean you can you can send what pictures and things to each other but there's there's so many different messaging apps where you can already do that kind of thing anyway it's just another one that people have to download yeah what is it what is it about messaging apps do you think that makes them successful is it and like why why do you think that failed was it the fact that the features weren't good enough or that it wasn't marketed properly or i think it's a mix i mean i don't there's nothing like, amazing what, i think about, you need say, a killer you need a killer say. feature mm. but what but what's whatsapps backgrounds <laughs> and, and i think like, it's all about who you communicate with really yeah, because like, i use facebook people... messenger mostly but there's nothing outstanding about it apart yeah, from certain... that way you can put the little filters on people make them look like they're wearing glasses when they're not <laughs> so <laughs> well, certain people I will only speak to on Facebook Messenger, certain people only on WhatsApp, and some on just normal messaging. But, like, why? <laughs> what is it about that draws some people to... Because guess... it's only with choice that you can make a moral decision about which messaging app you <laughs> want to use, Adam. I you guess wanted this. Things like Facebook Messenger are tarred by Facebook. Mm. So... There's a lot of people out there that are very anti-Facebook or would like to avoid using Facebook if at all possible. So maybe, you know, they see WhatsApp as something that, you know, I can get a lot of people together in a messaging app and message all of them at the same time. But at the same which time... Which I can't do through text messages or... At the same time, everyone's thing. on Facebook. Everyone. Even yeah. you, though you don't like to admit it. Maybe it's just a way of... And you have to pay, you have to pay yearly fee for WhatsApp as well. Do so, you? Yeah. It wasn't that just like uh, d the initial people who had it, do they get grandfathered into some kind of never having you, to pay thing? You get it free for one year, and then after mm. that you have to pay right. 69 or whatever it is a year. 79. Yeah, 99 now, won't it? Mm. <laughs> oh, we know it. Um, well, I, it's interesting you say that a lot of people wouldn't use Messenger because of the Facebook branding because it feels like more and more they've tried to spin Messenger out into its own thing. Yeah. Like if, if you can no longer get to messages on the Facebook app, it will now throw you out to the other app. I think there's just that reminder of, you know, Facebook is watching. Mm. And when you're talking to your friends, Facebook's making notes about the products and the, you know, the things that you're talking about. And then they're going to use that to advertise at you. I wonder if I go on, if I'm just going to have a look at the uh, the page on the Apple Store for Messenger, I'm, wonder, I'm just going to see if there's any reference to Facebook in there. Because I wonder if they've like totally separated it now. I think the app is called Messenger now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think there was the killer feature. So the killer feature, the one big headline thing really was the Google Assistant. Mm. And that's not really part of messaging as such that's more just you know i can talk to this assistant that isn't you know it's not it doesn't do a huge amount more than siri or google now did mm. so it's not really something i'm going to launch an entire separate app to use it's funny uh they the only time they mention facebook in the blurb is to say that it's not just for facebook friends <laughs> so yeah there is some distancing going on there I mean, mm. it says it was the apps made by Facebook Inc., but they can't really get away from that unless they did some kind of front, another company that's a front for it. But to, but to answer the, uh, the other half of the question, I think they also have Google are very bad at advertising certain things. 
there's a lot of them they come up with some product and then they announce it and then they don't really push it and they just kind of wait for people to take it and run with it and if people don't then they don't market it or anything and then it just kind of dies by the wayside that's a lot of the criticism i heard initially about um google apps for business right yeah because they tend to chop and change things so quick that people who get into a specific workflow can find themselves in the lurch because oh we're not supporting that anymore we're just going to take it away there was a microsoft uh, office 365 advert built around that entire thing uh, yeah here's one mm. for you Go facebook on. owns whatsapp yeah i knew that was a thing i've just checked it now they, so like that's crazy. Why are they? Why are Facebook pushing pushing Messenger when they own WhatsApp? Because some kids want to use WhatsApp. Maybe it's just a branding thing. I mean, I'll be honest. I've never used WhatsApp, so I don't really know all the features of it, and I've never understood the appeal of it. But I mean, maybe it's, it's just like the you know the kids think, oh, Facebook's a thing for my parents. Mm. I don't want to be on Facebook. But WhatsApp, that's that's all the kids in the school playground are using WhatsApp. Let's use WhatsApp instead. And the fact that Facebook owns it doesn't necessarily mean anything to them because they don't know that Facebook owns it or they're not against Facebook so much as they're against Facebook branding. Mm. I've got... I don't know. I'm I've got WhatsApp, but I haven't been on it so long. I just had to optimize my, my chat database. <laughs> It's the only one I come on here that I find messages that have been sent me that I never realized. I got a message off Matt, off, uh, Matt upstairs, Matt Richards, just saying, bar? That's it. I have no context for that. What, bar like a sheep or bar like a... B-A-R. Oh, okay. But, you know, I never told him to communicate with me through WhatsApp. Maybe he wanted to go for a drink with you. Maybe. And because and I never used WhatsApp, the waters, what, which messaging services are best to hit all on. of them and see which one <laughs> I'll respond on? Yeah. Anyway, it remains to be seen what happens with Allo, but it sounds like it might just be another project in the dust. It came on my phone. I have never opened it. Oh, okay. Well, put some time aside so it can optimize the database when you do open it. <laughs> Uh, okay, and the last story we've got today um, is about a man's pacemaker data that was used to uh, incriminate him. So this is uh, from an article on a website called networkworld.com. Uh, we have, I'm sure we've discussed this before on this podcast, how the Fifth Amendment relates to technology. So Fifth Amendment, for everyone who doesn't know, just taking the snippet that's relevant here... Um, the Fifth Amendment protects criminal defendants from having to testify if they may incriminate themselves through the technology. So you you, you don't have to or grass yourself up, essentially. So this story here is about um, a house fire that happened in Ohio uh, September of last year. So there, you've got a, a homeowner, uh, a 59-year-old man, who gets charged with um, felony aggravated arson and insurance fraud because his house that's worth $400,000 goes up in flames. And there's evidence looking at it that the fire started in multiple uh, locations. Basically, they started investigating, I think, mm. because his story of what happened and what he'd seen didn't seem to match up with what the fire investigators found. Yeah. And so uh, one of one of the things that he said was that uh, in his statement, he said that he got everyone out of the house and then he packed his suitcases and he broke the glass from the bedroom window with his walking stick. So he's got a walking stick as well. And he threw it all out the window. Um, it doesn't mention in the article if he went out after it, but presumably if there was a fire, then maybe you would have to exit through the window. Mm -hmm. Anywho, as part of this investigation, it was also revealed that he has an artificial heart. So a pacemaker. And what the, uh, what the authorities did was they went and got a warrant to get info from the pacemaker. And uh, what they wanted to know was they wanted to know his heart rate, pacer demand, and cardiac rhythm before, during, and after the fire. And they had a cardiologist who had a look at all this information and decided that it was highly uh, improbable that Mr. Compton, the uh, man in question, uh, would have been able to collect, pack, and remove the number of items from the house, exit his bedroom window, and carry numerous large and heavy items to the front of his residence during the short period of time that he was indicated 
uh, due to his medical conditions. So what they're saying is he couldn't pack his bags, he couldn't get all of his suitcases together and then throw them out the window. According to what his pacemaker says, it wouldn't have been possible for him to do that. I would have thought with this information, you'd look for kind of the heart rate, you know, at, at that moment. Yeah. But I suppose even if you were doing this as insurance fraud, your heart rate would go up because you're thinking, this is it. I'm committing. I'm lighting the fuse. Mm. I think the implication is when you read sort of read the headline that, you know, they went over his heart rate data and figured out that no way no this is a this is a calm relaxed man this is not a man that has that is woken up in the middle of the night and frantically Ooh. got all evacuated everyone from his house and smashed windows and thrown luggage around and stuff when you actually read the statement from the cardiologist it seems to be more about due to his health this guy couldn't have done that yeah. so it makes me wonder if instead of you know looking at the kind of logs of the pacemaker to see whether it checks out with the times of the fire whether they're just kind of looking at the pacemaker and how the sort of medical uh, attention and you know settings that he's been prescribed whether a man with those kind of medical issues would have been able to do the things that he says he did right yeah so i'm wondering if they're kind of slightly the Making police it sound like more uh techno theory than it is yeah i mean the police uh there's a statement from the police where they say uh the pacemaker data proved to be an excellent investigative tool um so they're kind of saying it's it's one of the key pieces of evidence that they use to charge the guy um it also points out in the article that you know there's numerous other things that are wrong even without the pacemaker there's things like um they found gasoline on the guy's clothes on his clothes yeah so they may well have been able to charge and prosecute this guy even if they didn't have the pacemaker data yeah so you wonder how useful it was whether it was just you know an additional piece of evidence lined up against all of the others that caused him to you know it's just yet another thing that looks bad for him. You could see it as kind of a test bed of does this stand up against the Fifth Amendment? Mm. Like we already know that we can that we can charge him based on the information we have. But hey, he's got this pacemaker. Why don't we enter that in his evidence as well to see if it's admissible? Let's set a precedent here. Yeah. You wonder if this will get called on by more cases further down the line. Do you know what gets me about it? The cat, yeah. So uh, <laughs> the, the the opening paragraph, and it's only kind of mentioned in the opening paragraph and not revisited again, was that the cat died in the fire. Oh. And you think, if this was a real attempt to arson, did he just forget about the cat, or did he think this would add to the story if he didn't rescue the cat? That's, that's the real story yeah, here. Hmm. But uh, who knows? Stay tuned. We'll give you an update when we hear something. Unfortunately, I don't have a Kickstarter of the week. Um, but I did find an article. Yeah, I know. Not shaking your enough. head, Adam. That's all right, though, because uh, I've got a little, uh, just a little bit from um, cnbc.com um, talking about a Kickstarter that we talked to about a while back called the Fidget Cube. So this is a little device uh, which is it's, it's, a, it's like a, a, a die, a six-sided die, but each side has its own kind of little um, fidgety gadget on the it's side. Got like so you've got ball bearing, you've got buttons that you can click, you've got dials that click, you've mm. got a joystick and things like that. It's basically something for you, for you, for you to play with um, when you're just sat in meetings and things like that. And this is an article about a 24-year-old who they've dubbed jack who basically worked for a while as a software engineer helping with software for these companies and then one day decided oh this isn't really doing much for me i want to go and start a company that actually makes things and it talks about a kickstarter called um have i got the name of it here a k k c k a i s r kaiser i don't know if it's meant to be spelt as an acronym or what but it was kaiser maybe and it was it was a Kickstarter for a, a large inflatable 
Um, they call it an air lounge. It's kind of like a big beanbag that you can take around with you and inflate. And it's quite, quite a simple idea, but essentially he saw this Kickstarter. I think it raised something like $4 million, but then he thought, what if I could beat them to market because they don't have a patent or anything like that? So he then went to um, Alibaba, which is the Chinese wholesale website, which I spent some time on today. Great website, all sorts <laughs> of stuff on there, and found something similar and brought it over. And then off the back of the the kind of excitement for the actual campaign, sold all this stuff. So he, he found a pre-made one and just yeah, arranged distribution yeah. rights. Yeah, and sort of well, and not even that. He kind of turned up at festivals outdoor concerts, places where people would want this kind of stuff and just kind of sold it to him there and then. Wow. And made a good deal of money off it. And then he thought, oh, this is really good. And so he sort of tested the market for a while. And then a little while later, you get this Kickstarter that's in one of the top 10 Kickstarters of all time in terms of sort of money generated. And that was the Fidget Cube, hmm. which we talked about. And... Uh, as you and me know, David, these things are already out on the market, if not necessarily the Kickstarter, because you can go on Amazon right now and you can buy a fidget cube, except it's not called a fidget cube. It's called a... I can't remember. I've, I didn't have it written down. It's Basically, like a, the knockoff version of knock the fidget cube. Yeah, version. It's called like, a, I don't know, the scratch cube or the, the something cube. Stress cube, that's the one. And uh, you can already get your hands on these things. Uh, what was interesting, actually, is that the, the Kaiser or whatever it was called, their Kickstarter folded eventually just because they got into some scrap about manufacturing costs or something like that. So it was only the unofficial version that came to market. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've, we've played with one of the knockoff ones, haven't we? Yeah, because uh, the problem with the Fidget Cube is that I don't think, at least the last time I checked in, they had not released them yet. They were having problems and that seems to be the kickstarter way unfortunately yeah so you got all these people that backed this product got excited about this product demonstrated that there was a market for this product and then the company that was supposed to be making it didn't make it quick enough and then you've got all these knockoffs jumping in place yeah and yeah we've got we've got a friend who ordered some official fidget cubes and has gone out and bought a knockoff because the official ones hadn't been delivered yet and didn't appear to be anywhere near getting manufactured and sent out. Yeah. I think there's talk here in an article on nowloading.co, which apparently uh, says that they were they were likely uh, to start releasing in December. I need to check if they actually did. But even so, by December, by the time we're talking, there were already these knockoffs on the market everywhere. And there was definitely... I think there's definitely something to be said for the build quality of the ones that you kick-started. So, for instance, one thing that I noticed when we were playing with this one that a friend had was that you've got one side and it's just five little buttons that you can press. And uh, in the kick-started version, three of those buttons clicked, two of them didn't. Two of them were just silent buttons. Whereas in the one that we saw, I think all of the buttons clicked. Yeah. So there's... there's uh, yeah, there's some... Some corners cut, which you kind of expect if you're buying this sort of Chinese wholesale stuff. But still, yeah, that's I just thought that was interesting because I did see them all over Amazon. I thought these don't look like the official ones, and that's kind of the story behind it. I think he made three hundred and forty-five thousand dollars <sighs> off them. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. Right, that'll do it. I think. Uh, let us end our podcast. Um, if anyone would like to send us an email, you know by now where to find us. Send us an email at podcast.unravelingtechnology.co.uk or you can reach out to us on Twitter um, at Unraveling Tech. Did you use the phrase reach out? I did. Please reach out to us. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's, That's the end thing, isn't it? business speak. Very, very business speak. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me try and... Uh, Make it cooler for the kids. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up. I feel like I always say hit us up on Twitter. I want to go for something else. What are what are the kids? I don't know. No. Tweet us. Do kids tweet anymore? Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what the name is. You tweet someone, don't you? Maybe we should get an Instagram. 
grammars or a tinder something <laughs> tinderous swipe left on us is that the right is that the right direction i, I don't know yeah just testing yeah uh, nearly yeah. got me nearly got me uh yeah um we also got our blog unraveling.technology um and leave us an itunes review if you haven't already that's it i feel like you didn't really commit to that joe you were just like yeah did you actually say our twitter address or did i distract you yeah i said it pretty okay. sure i said it say it again go on then you can hit us up on twitter at unraveling tech thank you very much for listening from me david and adam we'll talk to you next week goodbye bye bye